Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demonland podcast. My name is Andy, and we'll soon be all over with just one more painful week to go, and then the horror of, of a season will be over, and hopefully we can reset, recharge, uh, recalibrate all the rewords, and maybe, just maybe, uh, we can get back to winning footy. But before we can do that, we need to talk about Friday night and... Uh, to do just that, I'm joined by my co-host, one of Demonland's head writers, George on the outer. Good evening, George. How are you going? Good evening, Andy, and good evening to uh, hopefully there's some listeners out there this week. Um, I'm glad to be glad to be back again this week. Uh, I thought I might finish up doing a Cade Chandler, you know, in for one week and then out for the season the next. But um, here I am back again, so it'll be good to talk about uh, what we saw in the game or what we did see in the game. <laughs> Um, you made a reference to to Kay Chandler. Did is there something I should know? Is he out for the season? Is he? Injured? Yeah, he's, he's uh, got a broken finger. Oh my and, goodness! <laughs> um, uh, on the latest injury report out today, it's got season. So um, that, uh, that's it for him. So. <laughs> I'd actually maybe we needed a Super Mercado in here to give us the statistics on players who have uh, played their first game, been injured. Uh, and then perhaps we we'll, might have to wait to see whether we ever see him ever again. Yeah. I, uh, I'm starting to worry about Super Mercado as well. He um, he didn't even attend the game, according to the Demon blog this week. So you better be really careful because the uh, his seated uh, row MM in the top deck of the Ponsford stand might be taken from him next year with over, overwhelming uh, Demon <laughs> supporters trying to get into it. Did you uh, did you see the the picture of that lone figure? Uh, sitting there at three-quarter time. Uh, he looked like he was asleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was no reaction on the screen from him, which isn't surprising because there wasn't much reaction from uh, anybody in the crowd, quite frankly. So um, yeah. it was just one, one of the rest of us. Well, <clears throat> well it was Sydney's... Um, it was their biggest win for the season, um, not surprisingly, <laughs> against mm. us. But when you have uh, 17th playing 15th, um, I don't know. You, you probably don't expect it as such a big gulf, and um, well, there it is—a a huge yeah. gulf. And uh, uh, George, you weren't happy with the choices made at the selection table on Thursday night, uh, having read your your report on uh, on Demonland. Mm, it's, it was interesting, and um, uh, reflecting reflecting on that, I mean, you, you look at the players who were selected. Um, you're going into the game with, you know, as was advertised quite broadly, um, the shortest team uh, for years and years and, you know, virtually a non-existent forward line effectively. But then, um, you know, um, you reflect on what we do have available at Casey and the, the barrel is very, very um, right at, or right at the very bottom of the barrel. You know, I think Declan Keelty was the only um, effective available forward. Um, so it's not surprising. And then, if you if you really want to be cynical, um, uh, the players who uh, were either dropped, like Hunt and Baker, and Proust wasn't selected after 75 hitouts the previous week. Um, you might say that um, Casey winning against Frankston this week was of more value than Melbourne winning against Sydney because uh, at least the uh, Casey win this week enabled them to have a chance of playing finals. Um, they only fell in by one one goal in a what sounded like an absolutely enthralling game of, uh, down at the Frankston Oval because um, Casey was declared a 
unplayable, uh, the ground itself. And then they had a scoreline of 4-14 to 4-8. So it would have been a fantastic game of AFL football to watch. Yes, yeah, um, You could, could argue that those players were better served down at Casey than actually playing against Sydney. Well, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't be doing the T word, would we? Um, no, no, no. But, uh, no. I don't think we do. I don't think it's possible to do the T word. We're, not, we're just not that good. <laughs> yeah, that's so. true. Um, you mentioned Declan Kelty. You'd think that um, the the writing's on the wall for him. Uh, uh, we had we had injuries to um, to Petty and Omac, who who had been playing as well. Omac had had a week at down forward. Petty had had a couple of weeks down forward. Obviously, T Mac and Weed uh, have been injured for a while. Uh, Declan Kelty has played up forward. Definitely trained uh, to play as a forward this year. Uh, got two chances, uh, but if he couldn't get into the team. Um, and I know you, you said that maybe they were focusing on Casey, but if, if he can't get into the team when there's absolutely no tall forwards uh, available and he's a guy who can play that position, uh, you would think he, he might the writing on the wall might be there for him. He might get delisted because he wasn't considered as a forward option for this match. Yeah, it's, um, that's, unfortunately, that's the nature of AFL football. It's pretty brutal. Um, people don't like, It's not a long-term career. Um, for people, and uh, if you can't can't get those opportunities, or you get a bad run of um, uh, injuries in your career, then you know you, you are shunted out of it very quickly. Um, so that's unfortunate. But Kilty won't be the, won't be the first one. Uh, there's a lot of players on the list who I think are in very similar positions, um, even, even if they're not, even if they are injured at the moment, they're just not going to get a run in any case. So. Like I said, that's the that's the nature of the business. Um, these are names that we'll forget we'll forget about pretty quickly, unfortunately, and we'll move on to the next group of young people coming in. Yeah, and I think we might uh, maybe perhaps next week might discuss in a little bit more detail. Uh, you know, have a look at the list and see see if we can sort of identify who's going to be there, who's not going to be there, and we might leave that uh, for next week. Um, th- this week, though, we had. At the select, just talking about selections. Um, well, you were aware prior to that that we had those injuries. Um, that Omac was injured. Was he another mystery injury of the week? Um, uh, before I, I, he, he, he was admitted from the from the injury list last week. But also, if you if you look at this week's injury list, both Omac and Petty are still missing. Uh, oh, that's, missing. In, that's in addition to the seventeen who are on the list. Um, so. So, you know, we, I, th- I think we're, we, we're a little bit um, uh, beaten around the head too much with this injury list of ours. We know it's not quite the truth, and there's further examples of that again this week, it would seem. But, hey, you go, last round of the game, who cares? Uh, sorry, last round of the year, who cares? Almost. Yeah. So, uh, it'll be... And Casey, Casey aren't playing this week. Um, they've got a bye, so... It will be interesting uh, who actually is available and who is selected this week. Um, I'll just uh, mention, if you would like to join us tonight on the program to discuss any of the topics that we talk about, uh, give us a call 0390163666. That's 0390163666. Or you can Skype us at uh, Demonland31. If you're listening to the show live, jump in the chat room. Uh, You can ask us... uh, some questions, uh, you can post comments. Uh, the chat room's at uh, demonland.com slash podcast. 
if you're listening to this at your leisure via SoundCloud on demonland.com or via an Apple or Android podcasting app, be sure to subscribe and you can receive updates when a new show drops. Don't forget to leave us a favorable review. It does help more people find us. We're also on Spotify, so you can get the show that way too. Go to demonland.com to find the links to your preferred method of listening. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at facebook.com slash demonland31, on Twitter at demonland, on Instagram at demonland31. Go to YouTube and search for Demonland Podcast and you can listen to some of the interviews that we've conducted over the years with current and past players and coaches. Um, if you just love talking about the D's 24-7 all year round, why not join up to demonland.com, chat with other D's fans about this great club. All right, uh, we'll get back into it, George. Um you, you, we mentioned the injuries and, you know, that's definitely been a, a part of it. It's had an impact on our performances. We don't have uh, the best cattle available for us. But even with all those injuries, there's something that's stinking very badly at this club at the moment. Yeah, it's it's really difficult, I can imagine. Um, uh, and the, the extent of the injuries and the effects that those injuries have on confidence, particularly for young players... Um, you know, it's nice to get a win under your belt, even if it's only every now and again. Um, people, you know, have been, it's been pointed out this week about people arguing with each other on the field. I don't think that's um, such a bad thing, but it doesn't look good. And, you know, a lot of this game is all about confidence and the difference between the top and the bottom side isn't all that great, with, if the truth be known. Um, and when you've got such extensive injuries that we have, um, it, it really makes it hard, not not just um, missing quality players from being in the side, but the replacements for those quality players are just not as good. And, um, you know, when you can trust a quality player to deliver when you need him to deliver, uh, the not-so-quality player simply doesn't isn't able to do it. And so you get, almost get a double effect. No, no positives and increased negatives, and that's exactly what we've seen. You know, the turnovers have increased dramatically this year, and um, the lack of scoring up, uh, up the forward line has reduced dramatically um, from from these injuries lists. Um, it was interesting if we're t- talking about injuries list. I just did a quick run through uh, this week's injuries for many other clubs, and if you want an insight into perhaps who's going to do well in the finals. Um, uh, for example, Brisbane have got uh, in their in their injury list, I think four players at the moment, and uh, two of those of those sorry three three players on their injury list, and of those three players, one's a rookie uh, who hasn't played a game, and one's a, a a first year player who hasn't played a game, and I think the uh, third one's going to be back within two weeks, uh, even uh, Geelong. Uh, have only got seven seven injuries on their list at the moment. Three of them are on tests this week, and four of them, four others, are going to be back within one to two weeks. So, in other words, they could have one player not available at the end of this round. Um, Richmond, five players injured, uh, two are on tests and one back. So, again, at the end of the of the home and aways, Richmond might only have two or three players on the injury list, and it's not surprising. West Coast is similar, seven players injured. One on a test this week, three available within the next week or two. So they'll only have four of our, four players on their injury list at the end of the season. 
it's not surprising that these all of these teams are the ones that are sitting at the top of the ladder. Um, yeah, you, you'd have to you'd have to say that if any of them had been as hit as we have, and and it's been all year with us. Um, you know, you, you, we've been fortunate that our, our core midfield has has been there, and they've had their issues as well. But um, any team you you have you take any of those top four, four, five, six teams and give them seventeen injuries now and you know throughout the year, um, they're going to struggle. Uh, just like we have this year, and I know yeah. we've got other issues as well, but um, it doesn't help. That's, that's the starting point. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent convinced. Uh, if we go into the season with a full team, I, I've got some worries about the way we play, um, mm. even with a full list. But we would certainly finish a lot higher uh, than our position at the moment. Um, and we'll see next year. I might, I might be proven wrong. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There is some commentary on Demon Land from particular, some posters that um, uh, our, our game style wasn't able to be implemented um, because uh, these players that they were trying to to drill early in the season simply weren't out there on the park at all. They were still stuck in the medical rooms. And um, in a game like AFL with 18 players on the field, um, you've really got to make sure that everybody knows what they're doing and where they've got to go and how they've got to play. And if, as the case was in January, you know, you've got 12 players still in the medical room, well, you're not going to be able to drill that into the people, regardless of the injury situation. But um, it, it's, yeah, I see Bin Man in the um, chat rooms <laughs> said that you know, at the risk of being a broken record, our injuries have been compounded by our pre-season woes. We've never been fit. And I think that's that's true. And um, uh, the way we play is, reflect, is, unfortunately, at the moment what we're seeing is not just reflected in those injuries, but the lack of input that we've been able to put into the players who are, who are uninjured. Yeah, which, which makes it all the more important if we go into the season with a, with a full list and we have a pretty much full pre-season with the majority of our players... Um, if we do find ourselves mid-year in a similar position, um, heads are going to roll, but it's too early to make that call. We have to wait to see what what actually happens. Um, we, we had our shortest team on the park. Um, mm. uh, the, the Facebook page, Useless AFL Stats, has said Melbourne have selected one of the shortest sides ever to contest an AFL game in recent times. They've named their three shortest players in Charlie Spargo, Jay Kennedy Harris and uh, newcomer Kate Chandler, all 173 centimetres. Um, uh, it's believed to be the first time the club has ever named its three shortest players there. The average height of the Melbourne team is just uh, 184.8 centimetres. Yeah. <laughs> and the pity is you can't compare it in the past because if you, you go back and look at the Ruckman in the 1960s, you know, they were probably uh, 182 centimetres or something <laughs> yes, like that's that. True. So <laughs> it'd be interesting to compare um, how, how short we are compared to, let's say, 10 years ago. But um, yeah, pe- the, the players are so, so tall these days, it's, it's not a, a valid comparison to go too far back. But at the end of the day, you know, I remember looking down the ground at one stage and seeing Charlie Spargo standing at centre half back, <laughs> and uh, you just shake your head and you go, "This this is not going to end very prettily," and it, I doubt that it did. No. So. 
Um, last week we talked about the vision from on the couch, uh, showing all the demons uh, trying to contest for the ball. Um, mm. in, that, in that case, we didn't win the ball and the opposition had a lineup of players on the outside ready to share the ball all the way to goal. Um, and and this app, we've seen this happen uh, week in, week out this year. Um, you know, that if we don't get the ball, we... You know, we've, if we do get the ball, we usually you know, flick it out to a player under pressure. He's surrounded by opposition, um, and we're becoming uh, very predictable. Um, you know, have, I think you mentioned it. Maybe it was in your um, report that you said we've been worked out by every coach in the league, and, and it's really hard to watch. Yeah, that, that's certainly the case, and um, it's again tied up with this lack of um, uh, uh, training that we got into the players early in the season. If you're trying to implement a game plan um, and and the half the team's missing or a third of the team's missing, then uh, you really just got to run with what you've got. And I suspect that's what we've done. Uh, while we, we've adopted this hard in and under sort of approach, uh, as I've said, or um, other coaches have worked us out that um, you've just got to sweat on the Melbourne players. They'll, they'll, if they get the ball, they'll just pass it out to where we're already sitting and waiting for them. Uh, if they don't get it, there's no Melbourne players on the outside and we'll just run the ball freely um, up to the other end of the ground. So um, we, we really need a, at least the opportunity, providing all these players do become available in pre-season, to be able to um, run some new game plans and some new approaches. It, it, it just isn't working, as we've seen in the, the games against Richmond and Collingwood and St Kilda, and now Sydney, it's just been a repeat of the same uh, fundamental problems um, uh, around that. So, um, yeah, we've just got to suck it up, as they say, and, and uh, hopefully it'll, get, it'll be um, drilled, drilled a little bit better for next year. Uh, it's not just on the ground that we contest each, against each other. Yeah. I see us all the time, just time and time again, demons play a flying against each other in the air and then the ball comes out the back and th- this week there were swans or players sometimes waiting. Uh, ball would come over the back and he just runs into goal or, or they kick it to a guy who's, uh, you know, by himself. Yeah, uh, that's exactly a, a, another one of the symptoms that's... Um you know, attack at all costs, but the, but the the problem is that um, particularly when when in as in ha- as happened in this week's game as well, you get that bit of rain and a bit the ball's a bit more slippery. Not everybody needs to be up because simply people aren't going to mark the ball and it is going to come out the back. And it's interesting to watch players like Jordan Lewis in these situations. They're the ones who actually stay down and sit out the back. You know, that's that's the um, what you talk about experience and leadership and things like that. That's epitomised in a player like that, as opposed to three people trying to fly in the air against each other to try and mark something that they're not going to mark in the first place, particularly when one or two of them is trying to punch it away. So, from their own teammates. You mentioned the slippery conditions. I think we've got no idea how to play the conditions at time. We saw it against um, mm. uh, 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 Richmond a couple of weeks ago. We, you know constantly attempt to pick up the ball off the ground instead of just maybe just booting it forward. I watched Richmond play the Eagles the other day and there was a lot of kicking it off the ground just to get it forward. Um, but, it, you know, instead we choose to make a sloppy handball just instead of booting it out of defence, you know, away from, uh, you know, away from the congestion of, of the opposition players. Uh, you know, we played into Sydney's hands uh, and they were, you know, sort of able to continually apply pressure 
and you know they force these uh, turnovers. Yeah, it's very it's very frustrating watching it as a, as a supporter. The um, the crowd of people around me. I, I remember at one stage, I can't remember who the player was. It was either Brayshaw or Wagner. Had a, a reasonably good uh, break on the Sydney player behind him, hitting up the wing, but the ball was on the ground, and they tried to pick. He tried to pick it up instead of just booting it forward. You know, in the at that time in the wet conditions, yeah. um, just boot it forward, get it forward, keep pushing it forward. And as soon as he tried to pick it up, of course, he sweated on and he's tackled and it's brought to the ground and the ball goes nowhere. Um, it's it's really frustrating, you know, for the supporters. Like I said, all, all the people around me before it even happened were just saying, kick it off the ground, yeah. kick it off the ground. And uh, it, it didn't do it. And, you know, that's what happened, unfortunately, again and again. And, and if you watched, I watched uh, the Richmond West Coast game and that was probably had the worst conditions, but... That's what Richmond do every time, and they did it against us as well. Kick it off the ground, get it forward, keep it moving, moving yeah. forward, and it seemed to work for them. But I don't know, maybe that's uh, the team rule: pick it up off the ground. Uh, maybe it know. is, mate. <laughs> Isn't there a rule in under tens that you're not allowed to pick it up off? You've got to pick it up off the ground before in the under ten grade, but you don't. You're you you must pick the ball up. It's only when you play under twelves, I think, that you've got to actually you're allowed to kick it off the ground. So maybe some of our players haven't progressed all that much. <laughs> um, I, I thought we, and this might be just a, a symptom of it being the end of the year, and I think the players want it to be over as much as us supporters. Are, but we, we, I thought we had a lot of players that generally genuinely looked disinterested. You know, they weren't prepared to chase and be accountable, and I, I think we just lack an effective. Game plan, we lack pace, skill, effort sometimes, fitness, as we've talked about, uh, effective tackling. And I think most of all, you know, we lack pride. Um, I know it's the end of the year, but I, I just want them, yeah, I don't know, I just want them to show a bit of pride. And um, I think that was evident in most of our senior players, uh, with the exception of Max, who, who I think all year has uh, busted a gut. Yeah, it's 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 not just uh, disappointing for those players. Um, um, you can imagine, you know, players like you know, I'll use Nathan Jones as an example. He's you know played in every game, busted his gut over a long career. He's got very little success, and he's surrounded by others who, you know, really shouldn't be there. I suppose um, by any measure, and they're incapable or don't want to put in the same sort of effort that he does and the supporter says as well you know so it's very difficult to watch um when you compare what um say north melbourne supporters who two weeks ago played watched a game where their team scored 14 points or you watch uh Essendon two weeks ago who had 21 goals kicked against them in succession and then both of those sides come out and really show something I think there's a great opportunity uh, this week for Melbourne, the Melbourne players, to actually show something in appreciation of their supporters. Uh, we can only wait and see, and we can only hope about that. But it is possible. We'll talk about next week shortly, but I'm not <laughs> looking forward to it, uh, especially not looking forward to one player in particular who might uh, just <laughs> give us a bit of a... A drubbing. Um, tackles yeah. are a good measure of, of work rate. Uh, we're, we're fifth last in tackles in the comp. Uh, last year we were third, um, third best. Uh, we've dropped away by nearly 10 tackles a game uh, this yeah. year. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is 
symptomatic of, of the whole problem. Um, but I think what's more telling is is the lack of tackling effort around the ground. I don't know, you know, this is when we need some of the statisticians from our site to look into it. The tackling around the ground has really dropped off considerably. Um, the uh, forward line, there's virtually um, no pressure brought on the opposition defenders when they were when they're getting the ball. Um, we can all applaud, for example, Jake Melcham this week kicking three goals, but in fact he had no tackles in the whole game. Um, sometimes that might be uh, symptomatic of um, they're actually carrying injuries and they're unable to get to contests as much as they would like to. But um, it, once again, it, it doesn't reflect well on the side when you know, the, there's no pressure and the, and the ball just, as, as you've said before, just pings from one end of the ground to the other or out of the out of the congestion and there's no pressure from a Melbourne player and it goes straight up the other end and the score results. It's, it's really um, dispiriting for both the players who are putting in and for the supporters watching it at, on the outside. Yeah, um, that's what we really need to, to fix up, that the small forward brigade um, in, in our team. Um, now, Melksham, I can excuse a little bit. So he had that; it definitely had an interrupted preseason. He was in the yep. rehab group most of the time. He's had the injury mid-year. He's come back um, now. Um, was I, I? I get that you said that he had no no tackles and all that, but he has kicked three goals, five, and all right, the inaccuracy as well has killed us. Mm. Uh, you know, if he boots six, seven, eight, uh, it it's a, puts our scoreline a little bit closer. Um, but uh, our small forwards, uh, Nibbler, Wagner, well, you had a first gamer in Chandler. Um, yeah, I think we've got to fix the, fix up the small forward brigade and uh, I guess we've got to draft that because it, it, we're not going to be able to trade that in. And we've got a call coming in. I think we've got Bin Man calling us. Uh, I'll pick that up. Good evening, Bin Man. You're on the air. Uh, good evening, fellas. How are you going? Not too bad. I, we probably need you here. We need uh, a bit of positivity uh, into our uh, into our discussion tonight. Well, a couple of uh, positive things. I, I've really appreciated George on the Adder's um, analysis for last week and this week. Uh, very measured and um, uh, an excellent fill-in. Um, but um, yeah, positive. Look, can I the negative first? Oh no, you can. Yeah, I love negative. So <laughs> please, you yeah, feed we can feed find them easily. Feed into my uh, MFC SS, please. Uh, I mean, it was a very it was a very dispiriting game, and um, uh, my negative was I'm on as I think I told a few weeks ago. I'm on the top of my ladder in a tipping contest, and this tipping contest has been going for. 20 years. I won it once in its in its inaugural season, or maybe its second season. Uh, it's gone from a, a small comp to a very big comp in the interim. Not close. Uh, but I'm choosing Melbourne, and um, I tipped them early in the week on the off chance that I somehow forgot, which wouldn't be the case. Uh, and I went with a bookies odds for a dollar seventy-five or a dollar eighty. Uh, and then I saw the changes and I thought, that's ridiculous, five changes. And just as George from the outer had in his report, not just the changes, who they brought in. Um, and uh, I thought, well, that's ridiculous. Uh, but stuck that with the Ds and, of course, it just started a horrible run of tipping for me for the weekend. So that's the negative. Um, 
are you, the are other you, negative is. Wait, can I, ask, can I ask you, are you one of those people that uh, tip Melbourne every week or, or you, you don't do that? Well, the reason I've never got close to winning it is yes, that's generally the case. <laughs> um, the reason that I'm close to winning it, well, I've, I've probably um, torpedoed my chances this year, is that that was the case early on, but fortunately it was the case for everyone else as well. So we were favourites in uh, the first six or seven games we were favourites. So I tipped them in those games. Yeah. Uh, if I'd gone right to the beginning and never tipped Melbourne, I'd be ahead by 10. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your next negative? <laughs> My next negative is is the the um, Chandler was like it was perplexing um, that he brought in and and you you spoke last week I think about um, it was good that they didn't bring Jordan in um, and he was probably more deserving of it going on reports from Casey um, and then Chandler's sort of you know getting selected I thought was great for him but it got watered down somewhat by next day they announced four more changes um and the poor you know what a what a start for his career i mean that's exactly what you both said last week about the risk for jordan you know starting off on a bad note um so i just felt for the young fella and he, geez, he looks young as well so that was negative number two um and the third negative was i'm not i'm a big fan of jones um but some of his body language on, on Friday night, I, I was really disappointed. On there was one uh, play where someone was supposed to, should have manned up on the mark, and he was quite demonstrative about that. Instead of running hard around to get onto the mark, they were about they were kicking towards goal, maybe about from 50 metre mark. Um, the mark was about 45. Instead of running around hard, once it was clear that someone wasn't going to be on the mark, he just sort of came came to the side after clearly being annoyed at a teammate for not coming up on the mark and didn't man the mark properly. And I thought, yeah, that's just not what you want from from your most senior player. You know, and I get that he's had a, um, you know, he's seen a lot of disappointment, but uh, I, I was really disappointed in that. That wasn't the only um, incident uh, where a player wasn't happy with another player. Um, there was the incident with... Um, Bailey Fritch and Clayton Oliver. Uh, Bailey Fritch ignored uh, a, a handball out to, um, to to Clayton, but was able to still find someone. And he hit up uh, Neil Bullen, who I'm not can't remember whether he kicked a goal or not with the kick. But uh, you know, Clayton Oliver no, wasn't happy. He missed, but anyway, he did find someone in a in a good position uh, for a set shot. Whereas had he handballed it out to Oliver, who knows what would have happened. Um, it's not a good look. Um, what are your thoughts on that, big man? Uh, look, I, I sort of, I really concur with what um, uh, George on the other was saying before. Is I, I, to be honest, it's overplayed a bit. This game, you know, Demon Land is a funny lens on on the game, and I sort of stayed off it to an extent um, during the week because really, we've, I mean, the bottom's fallen out. When those five players, I was really annoyed at myself, to be honest, for not changing my tip. And that was my big, you know, I hadn't done that. I was trying to be objective. But you bring five players in at any time, even if you're travelling well, that's a lot to change in a mix. Um, but five really uninspiring changes. That's, you know, doubling down on, on you know. So it was really, they, you could see, swans were up and about. The, the season can't come, at the end of the season can't come quick enough for us. Um, and so, you know, that 
the way we played and the, and the lack of sort of spirit is really, it's pretty understandable, to be honest. I mean, they've, if you think about it, they've had all of those injuries. They're clearly not fit. They're bringing in players like Spargo who, who did not deserve a call-up. Um, you know, they've dropped Hunt, and that's a really curious one because he hasn't been great, but surely he's, he's been better than Spargo. Also, um, we, we, I'll just on that because I had that in my notes uh, with, with Hunt. Uh, he was uh, He's our second leading goal kicker with 20 goals this year. Um, and yeah. he was dropped last week playing in the back line. Perhaps they could have moved him forward. Uh, I guess they must have been punishing him for his game last week. but uh, And admittedly, he didn't have a great game the week before, but he is our leading goal scorer in a team that's struggling to score goals. Well, I, I put on the chat room, um, I actually think George's point about Casey is actually not that unbeatable. Is that, I mean, it seems a bit absurd to prioritise a win at BFL level over AFL level, but... It, it, I mean, I, it wouldn't shock me if that was a factor in thinking, well, you know, get some players with some experience in finals, get them another two, three weeks of, of playing. Um, you know, I think that that's not an unreasonable position, to be honest. And, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying, suggesting tanking, but, you know, uh, we want pick number two. So I don't think... I, I wonder whether that was a factor. But in the, in Without that, it's a bit hard to understand how he could possibly brought in. I've been really disappointed in Spargo because Spargo, and he didn't perform, did he? Spargo didn't take his opportunity. Um, he was gifted one um, and he didn't take it. Nor did Chandler, it has to be said. And Dunkley, I thought, he looked slow as well. So, you know, it was not really impressive by any of those young fellas. Um, look, Sydney had, they were playing, they're the youngest team on average in the comp and, and they'd lost their last six games, yet they sort of played with spirit. Uh, they've got some injuries, not as many as us, but they've got some very key players injured off their list, but they played with a bit of spirit and a bit of heart and made us look like witches hats. Yeah, but I mean, as I said, I mean, we've, sort of the psychology of the game is set up for that. I mean, we've had an awful season, just yeah. as bad a season as you can imagine having, and that's got to affect the players. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we've done well not to have dropped our bundle of before, as, as noted. I mean, yeah. the previous week, Essendon got thrashed by 100, you know, gave up 23 goals in a row, or 21 goals in a row. Imagine Demon Lane would have just stopped functioning if they'd done that. <laughs> Mind <laughs> you, they're still... Would be the, there's still a week to go with Ben Brown <laughs> after kicking 10. So, <laughs> Well, surely Oscar comes back and man him up. So, you know, well, we we don't know whether Oscar's um, injured or not, though. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, Ben Man, do uh, you have anything else? So positive. Yes, positive. Let's hear Look, some positives, please. That's enough of the negative. So <laughs> I, I, I wasn't shocked that we got thumped. It was very dispiriting. I, I really... It was it was awful. There's no no two ways about it. But uh, the positive for me, and and the, the sort of the strange one, there were two positives. One for me, the sort of the ongoing improvement from the fridge. I, I yep. thought he, I mean, that decision to kick to uh, Neil Bullen was brilliant. It was a great yep. kick, notwithstanding um, you know the the vitriol that he got. I didn't see that at the time, but um, he he's looking the goods, uh, and um, he's so much better forward as everyone's been saying on Demon Land for all year. Um, but the other big positive for me was Weaver. I thought, you mentioned before who stood up. I actually thought Maxie didn't have a great game. 
Um, and probably his least effective game all season. But I was super impressed by Lever's attitude, his effort. You know, he made some mistakes, but I thought he was fantastic, really fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think he. Uh, I was having a look at some stats before the show. I think he had eleven one percenters. Um, you know, doesn't sort of a stat that doesn't really get talked about. <laughs> I remember when we we're in uh, juniors. It was all the coach would talk about, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh... They're Oscar-like numbers. Yes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Andy, I thought, it, I thought it was interesting with the, um, the Fritsch-Oliver situation as highlighted on the media, um, and of course everybody picks it up and runs with it. Um, there, there's Nick Rewalt making a commentary about um, not giving the ball to the right person or complaining to your teammates about not giving it to it. And I can remember many, many games where Rewalt was, the arms were flapping around when oh, he's yeah. been up and nobody's been kicking the ball to him either. <laughs> um, so making a complaint like that about someone else doing the same thing, I think it was a bit rich. Yeah, they, and the three people talking about it were all um, uh, all, all forwards, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then blaming it on midfielders or just wanting to get a kick. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, any more positives, Bin Man? Uh, look, I mean, I think the other... Uh, it's sort of a bit of a strange situation with the, the game plan. I mean, I, they've, they've definitely tried to play a different style since Dubai. There's no question. And it, it's quite strange on Demon Land as a whole how that doesn't seem to be recognised. They're, they're playing the chip and hold, chip and hold, yeah. much different to... The, you know, that's, it's so noticeable. Um, the issue is that we don't really have, you know, the confidence to hit those targets or the players or necessarily the, with yeah. those skills. But, um, you know, for me, that's a positive that Goodwin, I mean, uh, like he can read it two ways. Frio today, they just sacked their um, coach. Their CEO's quit, which he could barely not quit, given he um, backed, uh, he got lying in, I think. Um, the club is in total crisis. They've got twice as many members as us, but, you know, that club is in total meltdown. Um, and so, you know, the decisions around moving on um, uh, uh, McCartney and um, uh, and the others, I think, in getting a new... I think we've... Actually, that's a positive in that we're handling it without going into crisis mode. Five years ago, this sort of season would have destroyed Melbourne. Mm. Um, so for me, that's a positive. It may not seem like that to, to others, I guess, but I think that, you know... Our board would have disintegrated even five years ago if this if this season happened. Well, watch this space next year because if we're in a similar position next year, then it's going to be uh, full crisis mode from the board to the coaching staff to everywhere. So we'll see what happens next year. Hopefully we can turn around, but if we don't, then we're going to be the ones in crisis mode and the torch is going to be on us from day day dot next year. And, 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 and that's fair enough, but we need a good Sorry. crack at pre-season and injuries. So yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that that's all, all it is and that can enough to turn it around, maybe a bit of tweaking of the game plan, uh, perhaps some, some quality um, uh, assistance around the, the, the place and some good, uh, some good trading and drafting. So, yeah, there'll be an interesting off-season for us for sure. And one more positive yep. is that over the last 10 years and, and since I've started posting on Beamland, which was, I looked at my posting history the other day, I think it's nine years now, which seems a pretty crazy length of time. 
um, is that this was always the best time of year for uh, coming into the sort of, you know, what could happen in the next season? Who could we draft in? The possibilities were endless. So it's sort of I'm, I'm approaching this off season with some positivity about who we might get in. The magic Burgess will will uh, install on a club. So I think you know, I'll try my best to um, to <laughs> get something out of the wreckage. <laughs> yeah, well, it, 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 this time of the year is always the, the, meaning the trade and draft is is always been big on Demon Land. So. We expect a, a big couple of months uh, coming up uh, for us, and I think we we will we'll, you know we're going to obviously do a show next week after after the game, um, and then we'll be back in the you know trade week and the draft week as well. So um, yeah, always a big off season for for Demon Land. Um, big man, I still have two more negatives uh, <laughs> just to bring it back. Uh, first one, um, uh, Max. Had 52 hitouts, um, and Sydney only had 19 in total. Uh, yet uh, for most of the game, they led the clearance count. I think at the end, it wasn't too bad. It was pretty even, but uh, you know, to have uh, such a lopsided um, hitouts and then um, to be sort of even at the clearances, uh, it's not good enough. Mm. Well, I, I think there's been, you know, again on Demon Land, it's sort of the, it's an interesting lens, but. There's been a lot of talk about our um, game plan, but I think, to be honest, our biggest problem this year in terms of our game plan is the opposition have just gone to town on Max Gorn, and we haven't responded. We haven't. I mean, sometimes it's like you think he's hit it straight down their throat and thought, Maxie, what's going on? You know, that's clearly not his fault. That's a setup issue. Um, and other teams have done their, their homework on us and we haven't responded. Um, so personally, I think that's been our biggest tactical and strategic sort of failing is um, is the other teams have just gone to school on us and and, and have hurt us actually. So so what's what's wrong there? We've got a, a very talented midfield. Uh, we haven't had injuries in that area. Uh, obviously, a lot of those boys were those guys that missed a lot of the preseason. Um, so there might be that fitness issue with them. Uh, but they're all very quality players. Yet we're uh, not getting enough out of them. We, we, besides this guy, we were winning a lot of, in most of the games this year. We've won clearances, but haven't been able to win games. And that connection with the forward line as well. So that's a worry. We've got to change something up there. Well, I think probably George is probably better better uh, suited for this that that question about what's gone wrong. But for me, it seems that's where there's been a problem with the setup. I mean, I don't, I, I forget who the um, clearance coach is, but that's. That's a real issue. And, and yeah. uh, George, uh, yeah, any I, I, I think the two things are, are probably tied in together. Um, firstly, with Max, um, when you've got such a really dominant ruckman as he is, um, he's actually getting the ball probably further out than what uh, he's been used to, say against someone like Grundy. And when we talked about before, everybody going in and nobody on the out, if Max is actually knocking the ball further out, it's, it is going straight to the opposition. Um, so I think that was a, uh, a factor with the, with the Sydney game. But the other thing that we, once again, talking about injuries, um, the outside players that we were hoping, I suppose, this season um, to be out and being the links once we've got those clearances would have been the Vandenbergs, uh, Hunt, um, if he was moving up to the wing, 
uh, Colin Jasny was was supposed to be uh, that in that sort of role, and we've had you know Hunt's been forced to play forward and back. Um, we've we've actually had no one on the wings or coming off the halfback flanks um, to be able to take advantage of, of when we actually have got the clearances. Um, so, you know, it sounds like a broken record again and again and again, but all these things seem to be interrelated, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. And I, I think that's a critical issue, that the interrelatedness. You can't, you can't pull... Like, I know I've, I've banged on about the impact of... There's two factors, the pre-season and the injuries together. You can't... You can't split them. They together, together they're two. They're another issue in of themselves. Like Richmond had a great preseason, were hurt early on and went down still early on, but they got the miles in the legs. We never got the miles in the legs, and we've got not just injuries but rolling injuries right through the season. And I saw Paul Chandler's, as you, I think was mentioned earlier, yeah. he's out for the season already, one game <laughs> and he's gone. But that's been the pattern that the whole um, season. We've just not got the legs, so it's. But that, that flows right through everything, through the, the game plan, the setup, the confidence, the, the whole way of um, playing. And, and one concern I have is that, you know, I think there's been talk about our game plan, but you can't really assess our game plan unless it's at full fitness, like Richmond. Our game plan is all the most analogous game plan in the league is Richmond's to ours. Um, they're better. They've got better players and their system, that's what gets talked about a lot is how well everyone knows their system um but that's our game plan that we're trying to replicate um and so you know i hate for them to throw the baby out with the bathwater and suddenly you know we don't have the cattle to play another game plan that's our game plan we've recruited for it so in a way you know let's hope that it's the right one uh the other story of this year has been inside 50 count and you know i i struggle to find how does a team uh, win the inside 50 count 55 to 45 yet still lose by 53 points it's uh it's bizarre and i i think the only positive i can take from that is that we are getting the ball into the inside 50s uh if we weren't even getting it into the forward line at all that'd be uh, a real worry and panic stations but it's not good that we're winning have 10 more inside 50s and lose by 53 yeah, that that's been the the case the whole season, hasn't it, yeah. Andy? The um, this was just a repeat of the same. But when when you do look at who we who we've had in the forward line, um, particularly in this latter half of the yeah. season, um, the ball goes in there and there's Bailey Fritch all on his own, or Melksham mm. again all on his yeah. own, and this week yeah with Rampy and Lloyd just sweating on them all yeah. the time because they knew they didn't have to worry about anybody else. Uh, just concentrate on those one or two players. Um, the the pity, I think, is that while the ball's going in there, the <clears throat> same has happened this week. There were no midfielders actually scored. We're not get we're mm. not getting the assistance from the midfield up no. uh, c- coming forward as well. So we've got a decimated forward line. But uh, when you watch all the opposition that we've had this year, their midfielders contributed on the scoreboard as well, and our guys mm. simply haven't. There's a secondary problem yep. going on there. Um, again, that comes down to game plan and and fitness and 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 training for these things. But um, it's not surprising when we're getting the ball in there. Okay, it just comes straight out again. And um, then there's a counter: is the ball goes up the other end and scored easily. So you don't get the goal in the first place, and one goes up the other end. It's a, it's almost like a two-goal play in some yeah. cases. 
That's exactly right. And I think the the other factor is there's been a lot of, um, I think it makes sense that there's been a lot of emphasis on on the form woes of Tom McDonald and these sort of the struggles of Wiedemann and um, both have had disappointing years and I think both have been, well, we know both, at least Wiedemann's been carrying an injury. I suspect Tom McDonald has been hampered um, as well. Um, but really, I, I think a, a, as big a factor, if not more, is our lack of um, harassing small forwards um, and and also mediums without Melksham, but in particular small forwards. And that's why I'm really disappointed with Spargo's year because he is exactly the player. That's what he was recruited for, I presume. Um, if you compare, you know, Richmond's side, they've got two, three, four players playing that role. West Coast have got two or West three Coast, quality yeah. players yeah. playing that role. And not only do we have no one up our end playing that role, we struggle with Jets out um, up the other end. And it's really been not the, the tall forwards of the opposition that have hurt us. It's been the medium and smalls that have killed us. Um, you know, at both ends of the ground, we've been cut up. As, as soon as the ball hits the ground, you know, our defensive 50 or our forward 50, we've been destroyed. And as, as George points out, then it just, in our forward 50, it pings up the other end and it's a two-goal turnaround. Absolutely spot on. Uh, B-Man, do you want to stick around? Uh, you're welcome to do so. Um yeah, I'll look. Here. Oh, yeah, I'll keep on on the phone. But, yep. Yeah, boot me off when. No, you're no, just, no. Uh, <laughs> you can stick stick around. I, I like hearing your insights, and we need uh, need to balance out my negativity <laughs> with some positives. <laughs> uh, Friday night's game was a, a thank you to the members. Um, <laughs> leave it to the uh, Melbourne Football Club to to save their their best for for the member appreciation round. Um, our membership count's going to suffer next year. I, I don't think that's going to be a surprise to anyone. Uh, there was a poll on Demonland uh, uh, this week. We only put it up a couple of days ago. Um, there's been 187 uh, members of Demonland have voted. Um, uh, 70% uh, said yes, they'll buy a member membership. Uh, uh, 14% have said no. Um, and I think that's just a few people just sort of protesting uh, in a poll. <laughs> but uh, they'll probably buy their memberships, and 16% were undecided. Um, I, I assume the two of you will be buying your memberships. So I'll be buying mine. Um, but it is worrying for the club uh, next year. There's a lot of angry people on social media and the like that uh, will vote with their feet next year. Which will only hurt the club, I guess, in the end. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of interesting points um, to come out of um, that conversation on Demon Land for a start. Is that um, a good number of the people there uh, recognise that not buying a membership is actually um, going to damage the club? Uh, uh, um, which is, you know, we're we're all heavily invested emotionally yes. <laughs> in the club. We can't get away from it. There's nothing we can do about it. So. Um, a lot, a lot of people are the same as us. You'll be there come hell or high water. Um, surprisingly, I think the um, the statistics aren't all that um, unsurprising. If 14 people have decided, 14 percent have decided that they're not going to buy a membership, well, that's probably going to to mean something in the order of five to seven thousand people, I suppose. And that's exactly what I would expect um, uh, to be the drop off in the numbers for for next year. Um, I think St Kilda. Uh, this year had a drop-off of 10% uh, from theirs after their appalling year last year. Um, it's not surprising, and particularly given we had a, a, a good increase in our membership as a result of the of the end 
of uh, last year, people were expectations were high. So to see a drop off is is not unexpected whatsoever. So um, yeah, I, th I think we've we've got a hard a group of hardcore supporters there, which is great. They do recognise that um, supporting the club um, is is what's needed to be done. They can't do anything in any case because, like I said, we're all too emotionally involved. There'll also be that drop off. I'm sure a lot of people might have upgraded memberships to to get <coughs> sort of guaranteed grand final tickets mm. or better seats. Um, they'll probably might downgrade. Who knows? But it's going to have a roll-on effect next year. We're going to, well, based on our performance, we're going to get a, a, a well, we'll get that easier draw playing the bottom six uh, teams twice. But we're also going to get bad, uh, you know, bad uh, a bad draw in terms of when we play, how much TV, uh, free-to-air TV we get. So we'll definitely, probably won't even might get a one Friday night game, maybe maybe a Thursday night, but it's going to be. Not like, uh, well, this year, what did we have? We had two Friday nights and a Thursday night. We I definitely won't get that. Um, mm. That's all going to have a follow-on effect. And also, I think our, our sponsorship with Jaguar was only for one year, and I'd be very surprised if, if they re-up that um, based on our performance and also not getting um, not getting the TV next year, most likely. Yeah, that, that that's a really critical factor. These are the flow-ons. Um, the membership... Uh, the dollars that comes from the membership, um, I think we heard Gary, Gary Pert say that um, those extra members this year uh, provided another million dollars in the bank, but losing uh, the free-to-air uh, coverage, the Friday night games, the Saturday games, and the sponsorship um, uh, arrangements, I think will come up to more than a million dollars uh, when it all pans out, um, which is exactly what we don't need at the moment. So... Um, uh, you can only hope that um, the easier draw that would be expected, I suppose, for next year um, produces some early results and early wins, which gives the confidence for the for the people to come back. Mm. Yeah, the, um, uh, you can't understate the uh, financial impact of this year. I mean, yeah. it, in some respects, for all Melbourne fans, it was sort of. Uh, not even bittersweet, it was sad really. They sort of pump up for the um, last three games at the G. The, you know, this was the, the triumphant against the Swans, wasn't it? The Tigers, Collingwood, Swans games. When the marketing people at the club um, were planning their pre season sort of strategy, you know, they would have been banking on you know, three games at the G, like, you know, maybe 70,000, 80,000 people. Um, for each of them, maybe not, you know, 60 or 70,000 for each of those three games, maybe not the Swans games. The Swans do get uh, supporters there, and had we been playing well, and or we can't uh, affect how they're playing, but uh, had they, uh, based on last year, they're making the finals, had they had a good year and we had had a good year, you would get close to 60,000, if not more, plus the... You know, it was a Friday night, so it would have been a showcase game. But uh, considering, yeah, consi yeah. considering we had we didn't have Anzac Day and Queen's Birthday this year, they would have been looking at those three games as uh, you know big money winners, and it didn't pan out. And the no. weather didn't help us either uh, for those no. games. The two of those three games, the weather didn't pan out yeah. well. And funnily enough, one of them. The weather did pan out, but it was supposed to be Arctic. It yeah, no it was... rain and never, never came. Yeah, the... oh, well, it did. It, 
it came too, too late in a way <laughs> in the end. Yeah, too late. Well, yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel for Kurt. You know, he's just had a, a horror, hasn't he? So, and I've got no, you know, the criticism of Kurt. I don't really understand in the sense that yeah, I don't get that. I mean, I don't have the metrics. But I don't. I don't get the the people have gone very early with their um, uh, their criticism of him. I don't. Th- you can't blame him for anything that's happened on the field this year. Um, no. <laughs> it seems like people are. And uh, all right, we'll see what happens in the in the next few years. But I think it's way too early to pin any blame onto him. Yeah, people, yeah, people no, love and... love to find someone to blame, don't they? But uh, I think if speaking from a board perspective um, and and a CEO perspective, this is the type of year where you really learn whether um, both the board and the CEO are any good at their job. It's very easy to a certain extent when you're in the winner's circle and there's lots of backslappers around and the money's rolling in the door. It's when the money's uh, dried up and things are going really bad, you find out about how good they are at managing that type of situation. Um, so we'll, we'll find out, I suspect, only a little bit um, when the uh, AGM is held this year. Uh, but the, the real test will be next year when you've got to deal with whatever was served up by the AFL in terms of draw fixture and when we, when we get a little way into the season, um, whether the results on the board are going to, going to improve things or not. That'll be the real test of a CEO. Uh, and a board as well. Did I hear? Yeah. And did... that goes to my point. Uh, sorry, Andy. No, that you goes go... to my point about the um, positives because you know, five or eight, maybe ten years ago, there would have been leaking from the club. There would have been crisis talks. There would have been sort of you know impassioned comments from the president in the press, and you know emails to members just like Port Adelaide did and got slammed for uh, you know a few weeks ago. There's been none of that, and impressively for Melbourne, there's Melbourne in the whole time I've barracked for us. They've been woeful. With, uh, you know, the leaks from our club have been woeful, um, and there's not been a peep no. this year. And you know, that's when exactly, exactly as you say, George. That's when you you sort of know when things under the pump is when when the cracks appear. And um, for the first time in the whole time I've barracked for Melbourne, you know, 45 odd years of barracking for the D's. Um, you know, we we seem to be strong at the board level now. Um, you can only go on what what you see, um, but that to me is a real positive. Uh, did I hear right that there's going to be a members forum, uh, an open an open members forum, uh, to discuss this year, uh, separate, I imagine, to the AGM. Um, you know, sort of like one of those town hall type uh, things. Yeah, that was mentioned, uh, I think, in uh, Pert's interview with SEN about a week or 10 days ago. I I think that was um, part of that. Um, So that would be an interesting event. We we can send a few people along uh, from Demonland to ask questions, (laughs) couldn't we? uh, um, A few few names come to mind and uh, uh, see what happens. Uh, Look, it'll be... Well, maybe some... Go ahead. Maybe some representative from the factions, from the Penny Penny Collective, could could um, be there, and the wrist slashes, and the, <laughs> um, could also be there. But there could be a number of factions there. That'll be interesting. It'll also be interesting to see um, if the club might uh, broadcast that 
on on their social media. I don't know if it's a closed session or, or not, but uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, that one. So it's it's a it's a very risky proposition, yeah. though, isn't it? There'll to, be a lot uh, of angry people there. I, yeah, I, I yeah, guarantee. That's, that's unfortunate that when you get to that sort of scenario. Uh, the angry people get plenty of floor time and you actually don't get to hear what you need to hear yeah. about what is going on in the background of the club because even though while we're all passionate supporters, particularly on this website, um, we still really don't know and we hope for little, we hope for little um, pieces of information from here or there, but uh, we don't know what's going on in the background with the players and the coaches. And as Bidman said, that's that's been a, a really good thing from from Melbourne um, compared to previous years. We're just getting on with the business without giving and feeding uh, the media pack uh, something to write about every day of the week, or you know, which which is what they have done so in the past. Um, the media will disappear after a day or two, as we've found, and they'll move on to something else because there is always something else. But um, Melbourne, despite an absolutely appalling season, hasn't been back page news of the... Of the um, of the newspapers and and on all the the media outlets for this season, so that's that is a big positive. Well, that's that's and, and on that point, the interesting thing is that the sort of comments by Caroline Wilson about us being you know quote unquote um, irrelevant that that's the reason. The reason is because we're not feeding the the story. I mean, St Kilda, you know, are equally unsupported as us in terms of numbers. North Melbourne the same. You know, but when there's dramas, you know, if the drama gets out, then the media feed on it and all the Tom Morrises of this world and all, you know, that whole industry of gossip that swells around a club is if you feed the, 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 um, you feed that, well, then suddenly they're relevant, but not in the right way. You know, so I'm happy to be relevant mm. in that landscape, to be honest, because as I said, you know, I remember what 20 years ago, Joe Goodnick. Well, we weren't irrelevant then. Everyone was wanting to know about it because it was, you know, filling up the gossip pages. So um, I'm happy for that. And on that point, the other thing is that there's been a bit of chatter um, in social media and Demon Land about divisions and criticisms and fallouts between the captains and, you know, all of that stuff. But, I mean, I think, come on, it's a footy club. There's, what, 200 people involved? Um, you know, there's egos, they're driven young men. I mean, there's always going to be... The stuff. There's always going to be stuff. It's like the Australian Test team. You know, when they, they win, the stuff doesn't come out. When they start losing, all of the, you know, everyone airs their dirty laundry. That's just the nature of 200 people together in a highly competitive arena. Um, there's a bit of talk whether, well, I think they're going to be conducting an internal review. Uh, Josh Marnie will be uh, sort of reviewing the, the entire football department. Um, but there's been calls uh, on Demon Land, I know for sure, of people wanting a external review and sort of all sort of positions around the club to be put under the microscope. Uh, George, I'll ask you, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? you happy with just an internal review or you think it should be? Um, I, I, I think... Um... Every single football club, no matter what their position on the ladder, will have a review of some sort of their operations uh, at the end of this season. If if any club doesn't do that, um, I think they've got serious serious problems. Maybe Fremantle has doesn't do <laughs> isn't doing a review. They've already made their their decisions. Um, internal or external, um, I can only go on my own experience of these type of situations. 
um, the difficulty with external reviews is that you spend most of your time providing information to the external reviewers about things that you already know. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the external reviewers, um, with a few with few exceptions, uh, spend an awful lot of time and awful lot of money to tell you something that you probably already know. However, in scenarios where an organisation becomes almost dysfunctional, then an external review is required uh, because you need to to get a completely different perspective on what is uh, needed within the organisation to make it become functional again. So, not 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 fast because once again, uh, we as outsiders effectively don't know the, the internal machinations of the club. Um, but um, as as things stand at the moment, uh, an internal review, I'd imagine, be would be um, sufficient. Um, I, I don't. I, can't think of any examples where external reviews, apart from AFL external reviews, have produced anything of value. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to hear of any, any examples of that, if that's the case. Ben Mann? Uh, look, I'd concur 100%. I mean, when do you have an external review of any organisation? You have an external review when you're in crisis. You don't have one when you're not in crisis, so it all depends on where you sit on are we in crisis or yeah. not? And my perspective is we're not. The, yes, with the um, five wins is is terrible. I mean, uh, my point is, you know, I've been fairly consistent all season about the causes of that, which is not to say that there aren't other issues, which in a review will pick up. But Jennings going, um, McCartney going, a huge thing over them. It's not as if they're sitting on their hands already. Um, so you know, I think that. Two things is one exactly as George says is that in crisis when when there's dysfunction then you need an external review because you need that's the mechanism and that goes for any organisation but when you're not in crisis you don't and I think it's really dangerous why would they go to an external review because that's actually saying to everyone all the stakeholders mm. that we are in crisis yeah. um, which sends completely the wrong message and an inaccurate message it's like inviting crisis into your club. Um, so I, I just don't understand the calls for it, to be honest. And it's not as if they won't get external experts. I mean, it's like it's not as if they won't get good expertise and good thinking into that process. Um, but to get an external, I, I just don't understand the logic of it. And and besides which, what's external? I mean, how do you define external? Do you, how do you get anyone in the football club yeah. that's not got some sort of you know, how do you get an objective person coming in to review a footy club, for God's sake? They're so emotional as a, as a sort of um, institution. Yeah, I agree. Uh, watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Jordan Lewis, uh, hanging up the boots, plays last game for the Ds. Um, I think he's only, what's he played, about 53-odd games for, for the Ds. Um, you know, I was happy that we were able to get him uh, to bring in a bit of experience into the team, some on-field coaching. Um, on the whole, I think uh, it, it's been a success. Um, you know, he was playing out his his career, so you know we weren't expecting the the Jordan Lewis of the f- four premierships. Uh, but I, I think he's done a pretty good job at the D's, and um, I, you know, the you, you can't uh, you can't buy that type of experience. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, 
uh, th there were lots of naysayers at the start, but I think that um, Jordan Lewis has been um, almost uh, a replica of what Daniel Cross was before. Yep. Um, that the, they just had that sort of player with that sort of experience just adds that stability that that we have needed and you know really needed, uh, given our position from you know six years ago when both of those players or over, over the period when both of those players have been around. I think the big question for us is, do we need another Daniel Cross or another Jordan Lewis for next year, and who would be a, who would be our preferred option? I think we've all seen what uh, Hodge has done up in Brisbane in a similar sort of situation. Um, is is there a need again for that sort of player for us, um, and who would it be? Interesting. It's a it's a good question in terms of personal. I mean, it's funny because I called earlier on uh, in the season and. Uh, Talking with Greg Pining himself, and the um, about Lewis and the sort of discussion was, well, he'll play out to the bye and then he'll gracefully retire, and um, oh, that was certainly my perspective. And, um, and I'll just interrupt. I think he would have had we not been uh, decimated with injuries. Um, I think they brought him back uh, as a need uh, at the time because we don't have any other players. Yeah, and and I have to say he's been really important in the second yeah. half of the season. Um, you know and. He's been tried up forward in different roles, and his, you know, experience has been at least one factor. And I've, I've really enjoyed him. I've enjoyed probably the wrong word, but I've, I've, I've been pleased that he's been in the team because we've had players that haven't had leadership. And I think it's a really interesting question. I personally wouldn't have thought we'd needed that. Um, I think that I'm starting to think that we do need that sort of leadership, and um, partly because perhaps. You know, part, you know, maybe that sort of incident that I talked about of Jones not coming across on that mark, it's a small thing, but, um, you know, that's when your leaders need to stand up. And he would have done that. You know, he, he's limited. He would have come across. His body language never dropped. He's, he gets annoyed at other players, um, but his effort sort of doesn't drop. His ability to execute did. Uh, Lewis, I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. Um, who that would be, I, I don't know in the current landscape, but I, I, I feel like we do need that sort of... Cross or Hodge or or Lewis to come into the club, you know, particularly next year because that's something we're going to miss when he goes because he would have been talking to the young fellas saying stay the course, um, you know this this happens. Football clubs go up and down. Um, you know he had his own experience of when they they dropped out of the finals after winning the flag. <laughs> so I suppose it's not quite. Um, but you know what I mean. That he would have had some experience to pass on to to the younger players, and by all accounts, he was terrific when he went back to Casey. So um, I think it's well worth considering who that would be, uh, who it would be. I'm not sure. Um, I, I'd love love him to stick around um, in a coaching role. I don't think that'll happen. I think he, he's um, he's going to go into the media. Uh, so I don't think we'll we'll see Jordan Lewis uh, as a coach. Um, I, I, I bet you they've asked the question of him um, and hopefully maybe he can convince his mate uh, Roughhead to, to get down to the coach, uh, get down to the club as a forward coach. But I don't think we'll see uh, Jordan Lewis. I think he'll go straight into the media. Mm, I think so too. And if for no other reason, then he will step straight into it and he'll make a bump there, won't he? Yeah. So I don't know what they get paid to be an assistant coach, but it won't be anything yeah. like you get paid for 
you know, he'll step his straight into a media role. He's intelligent. He speaks well. He's got a good grasp of the game. So, and he's already um, he's already yeah. there. <laughs> mm. So it's just continue mm. business as usual. Yep. It's it's yeah. interesting, isn't it? The um, uh, again on Demonland, as soon as someone retires, the, the question comes out: Should we pick them up as an assistant coach or something <laughs> like that? Um, I think a lot of people forget um, that a player is different to a coach. That's and true. In in the case of uh, Jordan Lewis, I think he's got both those attributes. He's a an excellent player and reader and knowledgeable about the game, but I think he's also a great teacher of the game that mm. he's able to, mm. uh, w- which is what a coach needs to, to be able to do. Um, you, you don't need to be a great player to be a great coach. I think someone like Alistair Clarkson is a good example of that. Um, uh, but you do need to be able to teach players and, and get your message across to them um, just because someone was great. You know, like Ruffy, I don't know whether Ruffy's a great teacher or not, but just because he's a great player doesn't mean he automatically should be top of the list for um, to put him in there as a coach. No. And, I mean, the thing about Lewis that I think why he, my sense is that he might be someone who'd suited coaching is like Clarkson, he's got a fierce sense of not just competitiveness, but you get the sense that he's he's got his own thinking and he's not going to be swayed and... Um, which I found it quite funny to sort of criticisms, a suggestion on Demonland a few weeks ago about uh, Goodwin being a control freak, thinking like, well, you know, that's just an AFL player, a coach needs a pretty big ego and Mm. needs to be confident in their ability to control every aspect of a club, basically. Um, And you'd suspect that Lewis would have that sort of mindset and certainly Clarkson does. And I mean, it's quite remarkable if you look at the, the sort of, the success of people involved with Clarkson um, in the last four or five years, it's, it's just incredible, really. Yeah, he's got a good uh, strike rate uh, with uh, coaches that have, uh, well, with the exception of Bolton was with him, I think. But, um, yeah, he does uh, certainly success sort of follows uh, people that uh, tra- uh, coach under him. Yeah, and that's that's all about the systems that they introduce, isn't it? And the the techniques and the and the policies that they implement at, at the club, you know, and the expectations that they place on uh, the new arrivals and the new players uh, from a very early stage. It's about getting getting everything right in the first place, and hopefully, um, uh, uh, we've got a control freak as well as a coach, uh, because I, I would, as Bin Man just said, I, I would think that most most AFL coaches are so. Well, you'd have to be the boss. Has to <laughs> yeah. the buck stops with him. Yeah. Um, uh, just looking, you know, discuss the injury list. Uh, and you're right; I hadn't seen the updated one. It's uh, it's quite a list. Uh, but uh, Oscar McDonald is actually on this list on the AFL site. Yeah. Uh, oh, he's rare. Maybe maybe the AFL's reading Demonland. <laughs> yeah, possibly because uh, Petty and uh, and Oscar are on there, but they're both listed as TBC. Uh, right. So it, I think the TBC is just a catch-off. We have no idea uh, yeah. what's going on, but you may as well list them as and test. What, and what does that mean with one round to go? <laughs> yes, so it will listen. And int- what does it mean for demons anyway? Because the way we've communicated about injuries this year, TBC could be taking care of business or anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean to be confirmed. It, it's been appalling in the communication about injuries this year and. Uh, um, yeah, so who knows? I mean, he came out with an ankle injury, and there's been no 
mention it or Petty for that. Uh, you know, what? Yeah. how did they get injured? What was the injury? Did they train during the week? It's just been, you know, really, I think that's that's something I can criticise Pert with for, I think, is the communication from the club has been poor all season. Well, I've, I've, I've noticed you've, you've said that uh, quite a lot. Uh, you've been quite critical of the club in terms of... Um, their communication and particularly with injuries, uh, where what's the line? Uh, uh, you, all right, uh, you want the communication with the members, but uh, what about the not giving, showing your hand to other clubs? Where, where's the line uh, that you sort of draw there, um, Bin Man? Well, I mean, I just think that's a. To be honest, the the the. the States, key stakeholders, one is the key stakeholders, the um, members, is us, is the paying members, um, and then there's the general fans. But the second thing is the in the bubble that the, the, um, is the AFL, as if no one knows, doesn't know what's going on. Mm. I mean, anyone involved in the industry knows if Oscar McDonald, well, they probably aren't so fussed if he's injured, but, you know, <laughs> if there's any risk that Franklin's not going to be playing, every single person in the AFL knows that before any, you know, Joe Blow public knows that. So I think that's a complete furphy as, you know, no one's holding their cards to their chest, maybe in a few times, but 20 years ago, maybe, but not these days. Um, so I think the, you know, the, what I find interesting is, I talked about this previously, but um, is the sort of the way we're slavishly following American sports in some respects, the AFL certainly does. Um, and I follow NBA a little bit in the States, and their reporting on injury is like everything's transparent, um, and for good reason. You know, there's a whole range of reasons that, you know, betting not least of, of them, um, but I just think it's, uh, you know, it's disrespectful to your key stakeholders, us, um, not to know what's going on. I mean, how what's, what's up with Teddy? I want to know whether he's going to play or not. Um, you know, there was someone on Demon Land who booked their tickets to go to, um, Tasmania weeks ago, maybe they want to cancel if Petty's not playing, or you know, we don't have a reasonable chance because they've not selected their best players. So, um, you know, I just think that it's beholden on the clubs to to give the right information. And to be honest, the AFL should compel it. You, you're absolutely right, Andy. It, it becomes a very difficult situation that the the club puts itself in. Um, you know, do you do you come out after round three or four and say? Uh, actually, half of our list is is still some, got some sort of injury, and we don't anticipate uh, winning any more games for the season. Um, if if you're totally honest with the club, as it might have been in this situation, as we might have been in exactly that situation this year. The the other difficult thing about injuries is, uh, unfortunately, the AFL has opened up the Pandora's box of betting on football games, and. Um, who you put on an injury list or not on an injury list um, affects the betting. Um, so it, it's, it's a it's a a very difficult situation for the club, and and um, it's difficult for the club to operate probably within some sort of AFL guidelines as well. Because I dare say that um, there are a lot of players who aren't on our injury list at the moment who actually are injured uh, and are playing, but uh, we're never going to find out about it. Or you know we. We suspected as supporters looking on the outside, we wonder why Tom McDonald can't run properly. Uh, we wonder why Jack Viney um, is going up and down in one spot. It's because they're all carrying injuries and have done for considerable parts of the season. 
and so on that, George, that the way I would I would do it is that, um, or the how I would think would be fair is that's fine. You don't have to report injuries that don't mean a player misses a game, and you can trust your own judgment. I mean, from my perspective, mm-hmm. it's evident that Tom McDonald was carrying an injury, particularly in the first half of the season. You could see it; he could barely mm-hmm. kick over forty meters, and that's a fellow who could easily clear mm-hmm. fifty. That's fine if they select them. It's the it's the choice not to select them because of an injury. I think that's mm-hmm. the um, the uh, issue. I mean, I guess the other. The wrinkle in the onion, to an extent, is the other sort of thing that's come in the last 10 years, which is drug tests and mental health, um, like legitimate mental health issues and, and drug and alcohol issues that where players are arrested because of, of those, or not played because of those issues. Um, so I think that's probably in there, in the mix, actually, in terms of reporting and non-reporting. You know, who knows whether that's the case at Melbourne, but, you, you, you know, probably a lot of players are... In that mix, um, we've had a number of players who have put their hand up this year for those things. So if that's in there, but I think if a, I think it's if a player can't play, like Oscar McDonald, like Petty, is the the fans should be able to be know that that's the case and should be it should be clear why they couldn't play. So given give look, we don't know whether Oscar or Petty are going to play. Um, assuming they don't. Who plays on Ben Brown this week? Uh, I guess Frosty is the only last man standing in terms of uh, big defenders. Um, Maxi? Well, I don't think Maxi's going to play. Is Maxi on the injury list? Let's. Uh, I can't see his name there. No, Didn't he, he sit on the bench for quite a bit of the game uh, towards the end? Um, what's the story with his hamstring? I think I, I think I saw Goodwin's say a couple of days ago they anticipate that he'll be okay for this weekend um uh it was probably probably a good move um resting him on the bench for a considerable amount of time but uh, the the advantage we've got this week is that casey have a buy so all of those players uh who weren't there last week um would be available to play for us this week including Bruce. so <laughs> maybe they should do what um when Casey play and the, the Melbourne team play on the previous day, all the fellas go to the uh, Casey game, all the senior players, maybe they should do that in the reverse and the whole club should go down to Tasmania and stand <laughs> in the outer and um, <laughs> create some confusion. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, so uh, look, I guess it is, it's going to fall to, to Frosty. Uh, we didn't speak about this, Frosty moving into the forward line. <laughs> what were your thoughts on that? Was that just uh, trying something new? I, I well, think, I think sort of was... going back to he played some games for forward when he first came to the club. Yeah. I thought it was classic. I mean, to be honest, it's been quite remarkable how Frost has become the pin-up boy this season, but he, he mm. showed exactly his sort of weaknesses on Friday. I mean, some of his turnovers were just mm. horrific. Um, and so if he doesn't have a positive impact, his turnovers are always going to be there. And his one bit of play was brilliant. He came out, took a mark on the lead, and he thought, well, that's a rare rare thing to see a mark in our forward line. And then he, of course, sprayed the um, <laughs> his shot at goal. <laughs> Look, it was something that was worth worth a try. You know, maybe maybe we've uh, found a second Tom McDonald. You know, but uh, uh, for next season. But what I think what was interesting. It was a very strong mark that he came out, but it was also probably the first time in that game that we actually kicked to the top of the square instead of 
to the mm. pockets or somewhere out on the wings. Um, so it was it was good to see a leading forward being given the opportunity, even if he didn't kick the goal at, uh, subsequently. And he hit that ball with pace. That was the thing that yeah. was lacked this season. He really hit that ball, like really, he hit the ball with pace. And we've just had no, you know, Wiedemann's been disappointing. Tom McDonald, as we spoke about, and he really, it was that was my thought as well. I thought, geez, that's how forwards go. And I, I watched Lynch mark in the wet on um, against West Coast and thought, that's, that's just fantastic. That's what we've struggled with all season, just that player who can grab that ball out of the air, but it hit the, the contest at pace, and even if they miss it, it spills in front of them, and you know it's predictable what happens, should be predictable what happens after that. I'm very worried about the scoreline this week. Uh, I think we might get a hiding. No, it, it won't happen. Remember, Andy has been played in Hobart. <laughs> Is that so, the, the so windy one? There's a good one? chance of an Antarctic burst. <laughs> Uh, and I think if any team can kick three or four goals, that might be a winning score. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the temperature for for Hobart on the weekend? I don't know, but it'll probably be cold. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And windy. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the the ground that has that wind advantage to one end? I can't remember which ground in, in Tasmania yeah. has has that. Uh, I I can't I can't say positively about that. Yeah. <laughs> If it, it was like last time we don't win in Tasmania. Yes, of course. <laughs> what was that? We don't win in Tasmania. That's uh, no. That's for sure. we could, the whole the whole state's a write off for us. It's uh, um, that game was at Bloodstone. I can't remember either. The, yeah. Three years ago, then was it where uh, uh, Gorn had that free kick and the boundary line ripped off him or paid against him or you know so. My memories of Tasmania aren't great. I'm still thinking of tipping us because I need to claw back that tip <laughs> don't, somehow. And... Don't do it in the <laughs> Melbourne game, that's for sure. No, this is the week to tip Frio. Yeah, the coach, uh, the, the uh, coach sackings uh, have a good, uh, a good record. Uh, it's 13, 13 degrees on Saturday, 13 and raining. Um, yeah. 13 and showers, uh, low of four degrees. So, um, yeah. Should be cold uh, for anyone going over to Tassie this week. Yeah, and I don't, I don't like, think uh, one of the biggest myths in football, I think, is that the wet weather uh, levels teams up, and I think the exact opposite is true. Well, for it, us, it exactly <laughs> exacerbates skill issues, and so the rain's not going to help our cause. <laughs> no. That's for sure. Um, anything else, boys? Uh, before we wrap things up, um, anything I've missed I, on I, the boards? I, I this think week? I saw in the. Uh, uh, injury report that Wiedemann's gone in for his second hip operation this week um, and they anticipate that he will be available for full training as of early December. So that that's, that's good. some good news. But again, talking about the injury situation, you know, I, I didn't know that he had a hip problem. Now, well, now we find out he's got two. Well, I didn't uh, know. No, there was, there was a poster mid-year. Someone obviously mm. had uh, some inside info. He said he, and that was from a source from the family. Um, it was posted earlier in the year. And um, so that was known, not to the wider community, but someone on Demonland did have the mail for that. Uh, so yeah. keep an eye on that poster because it's got good, good mail. Um, yes. <laughs> well, he mentioned that, that they you... were considering putting him in for surgery during the yes. mid-season and they elected not to. And... Um, you know, it makes me wonder whether he strikes me as a real confidence player. 
Um, I mean, I guess everyone is to an extent, but he, he of all, you know, in particular seems like a player who needs to be up and about and um, confident. And I, I wonder whether he's had that all season and um, um, it's really, you know, hurt his, his form, but then that's flowed on to his confidence. And, uh, um, you know, he really, we need him to, to be the player that we all hope that he um, um, is going to be or can be, could be. Um, because he's pretty critical with Hogan going and, and structurally and for a whole range of reasons. So hopefully that all goes well with his surgery and he does get back and he's um, put in a full pre-season and he's ready to go next season. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, ha- I'd have to agree totally with that, um, uh, Binman, because um, we've got everything invested in uh, T-Mac and Wiedemann. Uh, after losing Hogan, we really haven't replaced anyone uh, for Hogan. Uh, so if... If Wiedemann doesn't come up next year, we're going to be in desperate situation yesterday, yes, yet again with everything depending on Tommy Mack. And, and the issue with that is that I, I, I've been banging on about this for years, but we we desperately need a player like Jack Martin or you know that sort of style player who's an outside run with really good kicking skills. Um, and so we can't afford really to to lump our eggs in getting another key forward because we just simply have to get two or three of those outside players. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter how good our forward line is or isn't. If you're not getting good kicks in there, you simply aren't going to score, which is, you know, I think we've we've missed that. Um, we've, we've missed Melksham hugely this year with the inside 50, and I think we've missed Jack Watts, to be honest, uh, for the same reason. Well, that Jack Watts one's uh, that ship sailed long ago. <laughs> what about uh, your, your thoughts? We, we may as well while while we're here and you're here, big man. Um, uh, looks like we we're in the box seat for for Ed Langdon. Uh, <laughs> thoughts on that one, um, and what we're going to have to give up for for that too. Uh, personally, I'm it's. No, really. Uh, one of the things I do enjoy on Demon Land is the off-season <laughs> talk about players and um, and the sort of machinations. And I don't, I don't really get it to be honest. I'm not. I just don't know players well enough from other clubs. And you know, you know, I get a player like Lewis and think he's the best kick in the league, <laughs> and he comes to Melbourne and turns every third ball over. <laughs> so, you know. Um, so, I mean, if he wants to come to the club and we do need that sort of player, that'd be great. Um, I, I sort of, my view is always, I just watch the wash-up. It's more about the players we're going to lose is, is concerning. Uh, although it doesn't look like we're going to lose any any gun players this year, like Hogan last year. So um, I just hope we do get that sort of outside player in. Uh, I think, Gandhi, that the uh, the critical thing has happened in the last six hours uh, when Ross Lyon's been sacked as coach of Frio and also they've lost their CEO. Uh, we've been um, associated with uh, Ed Langdon supposedly coming to Melbourne and also Brad Hill we've been mentioned in as well. And the difficulty that we now face and the possibilities is that any new incoming coach will want a complete review of their playing list and who they want to keep and who they don't want to lose. Um and uh, I suspect that both Langdon and Hill will be uh, uh, well and truly at the top of the list um, for uh, players that the, the, the new coach might want to keep because otherwise they're sending a message to their supporters of oh, everyone's walking out on Frio like Lockie Neal did last year and like uh, Charlie Cameron did last year and now we're going to lose another two of them. You know, so there's pressures 
on the Fremantle board and coaches and staff to retain players. So um, we might have been snookered at the very last moment, perhaps. I think Charlie Cameron so, played for Adelaide. Though. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who, uh, who was the one who went to Brisbane? Sorry. Uh, Lockie Neal went yeah, to. Yeah. yeah, who was the small? There was a small forward. I think went went there as well. Um, was there remember. Weller? Uh, one of no. Um, was Rainer? Um, did uh, Rainer was Rainer was the number one draft pick. I think yeah. uh, Brisbane right, got yeah. it. But but, but yeah, yeah, I think the message is still the same. Yeah. That, you know, we can't afford to lose quality players to other clubs. Yeah. Um, we need to keep them here. So we'll wait and see. So the history of that is that, I mean, Kelly was an outlier last year. Is players want to leave in this current climate, they 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 go basically. So it sounds as if both Langdon and Hill both uh, want to leave back to Victoria. So it's a big call to keep a player, um, particularly in in a state player, um, at a club when they don't want to play. So I, I can't see that happening. Uh, I take the point, and I think that that's um, you know unless. Unless there's an issue that sort of that's going to help, and Lyon and Hill didn't get on, for instance, and that might change the dynamic. But my understanding from, I guess, mainly what I've read on Deanland is that Hill wants back in Victoria, his partner wants to come back, and Langdon wanted to come back last year uh, and has made it clear he wants to come back. So uh, I suspect we'll get Langdon. Um, it concerns me that I've, you know, talk about he's not, his kicking's not great, but I, I, to be honest, I just haven't seen enough of him play to, to, um, to make that judgment, but he's certainly an outside runner, and I think that's what we we also need is that player who can cover the ground. We've just got too many. I, I forget which poster on Demon Lane put it, but he talked about the sort of difference in pace. We just don't have that sort of runner who can run fast over a long distance. We've got burst players, but we need someone who can run 200 metres in a reasonable time to get to the contest or offer uh, an outlet kick. There was um, there was a thing today saying that Hill uh, has ruled out Melbourne uh, as a pol- as a possibility, and also there's the price tag of nine hundred thousand uh, dollars, which is probably out of our price range. But the worrying thing is, is we're no longer, and I don't know if we ever were, a destination club, especially if we don't have the dollars uh, to pay overs or <laughs> to pay uh, for some of these players. So that looks like it's the case uh, with Hill. Well, now that I know that, I never wanted him in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it'll be interesting. I'd look, that, do, do, do you think there's a, and we'll probably still talk about this next week and, and through trade week, do you think there's a possibility that we'll give up pick two for a player or we're going to go back to the draft with that pick? I'll start with you, Ben Man. Well, I, I think there was a really interesting discussion about, um, I hadn't even thought about it until I read it on um, Dean Land, is that or it somewhat depends on the priority pick for Gold Coast, but we'll, we, pick three, then. We, ha- we will get pick two now, but mm. if it becomes pick three, and even if it doesn't, um, if Ben King definitely wants out of that club, they've got a big call to make. And um, getting back to the discussion about you know key forward, I guess, um, if he said, well, I want to get back to Victoria, if they traded him and their first draft pick, which, as I understand it, is they had a um, they got Brisbane's pick, so it'll be, what's that, 16 or 17 or something, or well, now 17. Um, so 
if we got a first round draft pick and Van King for pick three, I think that's seriously look at it. I would have thought he looks a pretty good player, but um, again, then you're missing out on a chance of that outside player with skills and who you know these days those top players come into the AFL um, system ready to play, don't they? So it's a big call for the club. Yeah, we've been out of sort of uh, the, those early round picks uh, for a number of years. And you have a look at the NAB Rising Star um, stats. We haven't had a NAB Rising Star since Oscar, Oscar McDonald, um, your favourite player, big man, yeah. uh, <laughs> since 2016, where we did have four players in that year. But we haven't had one since then. And, and, and uh, I think Bailey Fritch was too old uh, when he first played to get that. And um, so I think... And I think there was another player as well that sort of missed missed out on it. But, yeah, we sort of big call to make. Um, but then again, that Ben King, if you can get him to, he's second-year player, um, still a young player as well, uh, who could be quality uh, for our forward-line ruck stocks. I, th- I, think there's, um, I think it's almost essential from my perspective that we stick with uh, the peak itself simply because... Uh, the, the real talent is available at the top end of the draft, whether you, whether they're successful or not um, is yet to be seen, but you get your percentages of, of successful players are always at the top end of, of the draft. Mm. Uh, we haven't had that opportunity for the last couple of years because of where we finished and or we've traded it out to try and get in people like Lever. Um, the danger is if you... If you leave yourself without the talent for too long, all of a sudden there's three, four, five years where you have an injected, yeah. talented player into the players into the side, and then you wonder why you're stuck in that mid 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 table, um, going nowhere sort of situation. So here's here's an opportunity to grab someone who potentially could be very good. It may, if all the rest of the talent um, in the side perform adequately over the next couple of years, it may be our last chance to actually grab someone while we can. Um, so I'd be in favour of sticking sticking with the pick. You then start to trade. Remember, our, our second pick is going to be pick what uh, twenty at the moment. Um, so that's a very tradable pick if you wanted to work something in with that and a player. Um, but um, I'm, I'm loath to to go about in, in the draft and trading period. I'm loath to put, throw up all these um, scenarios which could arise because you just go round and round in circles about what we could do, what we can't mm-hmm. do, and what the other parties are willing to accept and things like that. It's, too too hard to try and work out, but while there's talent to, talent to be taken that's right there, effectively free of charge for you, then you should grab it. I think. Well, that's... yeah, and I think that's a that's an excellent point because one of the things that Melbourne has lacked over the last ten years is one or two A grade players. Now Oliver looks like he's going to be an A grade player. Maybe arguably he is. Gorn is definitely an A grade player, but realistically, that's it, isn't it? In terms of our A grade player. We need another one. Um, and you look at, I mean, Walsh is something completely out of the box for Carlton, but that's the sort of, he's automatically an A-grade player and you know he's going to be one, uh, barring injury. Um, mm. And we need another one. Like the, the, the teams that win flags have two or three A-grade players, have six or seven B-grade players who are you know close and pushing for A-grade players and then role players. 
Um, so we, we desperately need that. And exactly as you say, George, uh, if you don't, then you've got this big bubble. Um, and, you know, if we do make finals next season, for instance, or even if we finish mid-table, we're not going to get the top five draft pick again for a while with a bit of luck, you know. So um, I think that's a really good point about that. And, um, you know, and also the excitement that it brings to pick up, you know, to get a, um, a player in at the top of the draft. Well, we've certainly had our chances in the last decade uh, to grab those players, and we have failed miserably. Um, well, we had Oliver, I mean, Brayshaw, Petrarca. You know, we'll see the best of Petrarca still. Um, so, you know, I think failed dismal is a bit of an over, yeah, overstatement, uh, I think. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that's just my uh, my pessimism coming through. <laughs> uh, but if you do love talking about uh, the the whole trade and the draft and and making all these scenarios, head over to demonland.com. We've got the uh, trade and draft. Uh, what to do with uh, pick two uh, board happening there? So uh, get over there if you just love uh, w- w- uh, you know pie in the sky type of thinking. <laughs> this best time of year for it. Can we play this um, this period? We'll have good fun playing on Demonland, the bend over bingo. Um, <laughs> I'll be interested to see how many times we get accused, and Josh Mahoney in particular, of bending over and um, taking, you know, the bad deal from Frio or Essendon. Or um, <laughs> it seems to be the um, the most oft criticism of our club. Well, uh, and this is another watch this space because. Uh... It's it's coming. When when is trade week? Uh, usually sometime in October, or is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, not far away. Um, not far away. <laughs> and we'll, I think there will be a big. There's no question. They'll they'll cut six or seven players. So that's the other factor I was going to say earlier on is that not only have we had a terrible year, and you know. But a lot of those players had, you know, well, know that this is their end of their career. But some of them, the end of their AFL career. So mates are leaving the club. Some of the assistant coaches will have been told they're they've left, and the players will have had relationships with those coaches. Um, you know, it's not going to be a great space at the moment uh, at the footy club. So for them to come out and play with not much spirit is not really that you know big a surprise in the context of what's happening for them. Yep. Depressing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I, on a great note, <laughs> like we started. Yes. Well, well I think uh, I think we'll uh, wrap things up there. Thank you, boys. Thank you, B Man, uh, for coming on and uh, joining us for the remainder of the show, like you did. Love, love, love hearing from you and uh, love your insights, George. Thank you very much uh, for co-hosting with me tonight. And we'll be back uh, next week for uh, hopefully not to dissect a, a train wreck. Uh, be nice, considering that we can't lose uh, uh, the position that we're in. We can't go up. We can't go down. Let, let's let's take let's go out with a win and stop Ben Brown from kicking ten goals. All right, go days. Go days. We'll be back uh, next week. Uh, let's go, those demons. Thanks, go Red Lake. <laughs> Yeah.